Door Sessions by Broadway Direct. In this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with Broadway's brightest, bringing you what's new, what's noteworthy, and what's coming next to a stage near you. I'm your host, Elisa Gardner, and this season we'll be speaking with some of the artists and insiders who are continuing to help Broadway rebound and thrive after the shutdown. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by composer, arranger, and orchestrator Jason Robert Brown and lyricist Amanda Green, the duo that scored the new Broadway musical adaptation of Billy Crystal's 1992 film, Mr. Saturday Night. Jason is a three-time Tony Award winner and a five-time Drama Desk Award winner whose music and lyrics and arrangements and orchestrations have made him a favorite among musical theater fans and artists alike, as any contemporary cabaret fan could certainly tell you. His celebrated musicals include Parade, The Last Five Years, Songs for a New World, The Bridges of Madison County, Honeymoon in Vegas, and 13, which is coming to Netflix this summer. You may also be familiar with Jason through his work as a singer-songwriter. His latest album, Coming From Inside the House, features guests such as Mr. Saturday Night star Shoshana Bean and an alumna of 13's original cast named Ariana Grande. Perhaps you've heard of her. Amanda is also a lyricist, composer, and performer. She wrote lyrics and co-wrote music for Hands on a Hard Body, for which she earned a Tony Award nomination, co-wrote lyrics for Bring It On, and wrote lyrics for High Fidelity. Her credits also include additions to the book and lyrics of Kiss Me Kate for 2019's acclaimed Broadway revival and additional lyrics for both 2015's revival of On the 20th Century and NBC's Peter Pan Live. Amanda is the first woman composer to receive the Frederick Lowe Award from the Dramatists Guild and the first woman to serve as president of the Guild. Amanda and Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Stage Your Sessions. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I'm starting off by asking all artists basically how you've managed to get through the past two years, Um, because it's been a bit of a a time for all of us. Have you remained healthy? And I know you remained active, but what's it been like? I'll let Amanda take that one first. Okay. I have uh, Knockwood so far managed to remain healthy. You know, like a lot of theater artists, I was severely sidelined and uh, I sort of kept alive by doing, I did some concerts online. I was continuing writing. And as Jason can also attest, knowing that uh, Mr. Saturday Night would happen when theater was allowed to happen again was a, a wonderful thing to to know and to, you know, keep my spirits up. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And you, Jason, were you hit by the bug? (laughs) Well, I mean, I was hit by the bug in a number of different ways. You know, as Amanda knows, and as anyone who works in the theater knows, you know, most of our income is actually based on what happens when people are doing performances. And so since nobody was doing any performances for over a year, that was a a pretty big impact on my Mm -hmm. life. And uh, it was uh, it was a weird time. I did the one concert uh, online that which turned into the album of uh, coming from inside the house. And I tried to do some readings and some stuff online and over Zoom. And I found it very frustrating and uh, sort of depressing. And uh, I just really was holding my breath the whole time until we could get to do the thing that we really do, which is to come together and make music. That's that's what I do for a living. That's what I do for a life. And uh, and it was very hard to do for a number of years other than with my family, which I'm fortunate everybody in this house sings or plays. So that was fun. But I didn't get sick until, you know, we started rehearsals for uh, for Mr. Saturday Night. So I was uh, I was in good shape until then. But uh, because of the vaccines and the boosters, it was all 
pretty mild at that. I, I was just, and I'm still just so grateful that we've gotten a chance to make music and make theater and, and have it in front of audiences. It was a long, rough ride. Yeah, and delayed like like many many shows. I know that uh, Mr. Saturday Night had its world premiere at Barrington Stage Company last fall. So you were obviously working on it through the pandemic. Um, how did you each become involved? I think it was originally reported that you were on board the spring of 2019. Does that sound about right? I'm, I'm sure you knew earlier than I did, but <laughs> it started in uh, 2000 and I think 16. Uh-huh. And, uh, Mark Shaman first told me about the project and brought me in. And then Mark Shaman had to bow out of the project and I came up with, I must say, the genius idea of asking Jason Robert Brown if he would ever collaborate with me. And lucky for me and lucky for the project, he said yes. That was in 2017. So we've been working on it a long time. Wow. Yeah, it was yeah. actually 2016 that I uh, that I got the first call. So it's been there you uh, go. it's been almost six years from one end of my involvement to the other. And of course, there's 30 years before either Amanda or I uh, show up <laughs> in this story. <laughs> Had you been fans of of the film? Had you seen it when it first came out? I saw it literally when it came out. I was a huge Billy Crystal fan, you know, when I was in college. I mean, I'm still a huge Billy Crystal fan now. Uh, but I uh, I went to see it the, the minute it came out and I loved it, but I had not seen it since then. Uh, and in fact, I still haven't seen it since then. When they brought me on board here, I said I wanted to be the one person who didn't know what the movie was supposed to be, because it was very clear that the show had a very different energy than the movie. And so I didn't want to be the person who was like, well, in the movie, you did this thing. And in the movie, so I, I've been totally ignorant of it, but I literally have the DVD sitting uh, on my desk right now in front of me. And I keep thinking, well, maybe now I can watch it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, had see, I, I did not see it until I uh, knew about the project. I'm also a huge Billy Crystal fan, but it had gone under the radar for me. And it, it is a movie that has so much genius in it. And I was really excited uh, by the approach that everyone was talking about of making a, a musical comedy about it. And um, so I, too, it's like I, I have not been uh, religious about uh, watching the movie. I watched it once and and then I, I was excited because already the book writers who are fantastic. Babalu, Mandel, Lowell Gantz, and Mr. Crystal himself had a, just a fantastic idea for how to open the show, and which had nothing to do with the movie. And I was like, okay, then, you know, we're off to the races. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, obviously any composer or lyricist has to serve a very specific set of characters and a story that they're dealing with, which you already had before you, in a sense, Mr. Saturday Night revolves around a Jewish family. It has Borscht Belt comedy in its foundations. And um, you had the movies, as you just said, Amanda, original screenwriters, uh, Billy Crystal, along with Lowell Gaz and Babalu Mandel, writing the libretto. And yet, clearly, this musical is not just a carbon copy of the movie. The characters and the story have evolved in ways that I really appreciated and enjoyed and, and found funny, as well as moving. One of the show's stars, Randy Graff, told me that improvisation was encouraged among the cast. Tell me what the creative process was like for you doing your, your separate work. I think what what Amanda and I were charged to do in a lot of ways was to build a musical with people who didn't know how musicals necessarily work. And so we spent a lot of time both trying to sort of analyze the scenes as they existed and then to try and say, 
in a musical world, we can do this with it. We can make it move in this way. We can make the songs do this job as opposed to just the character is going to sing a song here and then we're going to be done. But what does the song do? How does it function? And for uh, for these writers who have been TV and movie writers for 40 years and are immensely gifted at that, that was an adjustment for them that they took on very eagerly. But that, that was continually uh, our role was, you've written this great scene. What do we do to make it a piece of musical theater? How does that work? And so we would, generally Amanda and I would, come up with, you know, what's an idea? What does the song want to be? How does it work? What does it mean? Uh, and then I would just uh, make a, a very quick musical idea. I would just bang on the piano and I'd Maddeningly say- Maddeningly quick, may I add. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. And so I would just, I'd throw sort of a, a musical idea at Amanda and I'd say, see if this generates something. And sometimes we'd come up with a title together or, you know, like a phrase that might show up. And then I'd send her off. And the the, the weirdest thing we discovered was, you know, I haven't written with lyricists very often. Right. And uh, and most of them uh, were not alive uh, when I wrote with them. So, um, so in this case, what we found out was I could only work on this show if Amanda was actually in the room with me and that Amanda could only write lyrics to this show if she was totally alone. So, <laughs> so we would get together and I would like bang out seven chords on the piano. I'd be like, all right, good luck. And then I'd leave. And like three hours later, a full song would appear uh, on my desk and then I'd have to go back to work on it. <laughs> but even if we, I, it just, I just had to have a door between Jason and I, otherwise I got too intimidated. So, um, oh, even wow. if it was a, but yeah, but it worked, it worked really well. I, I mean, it was a, a wonderful collaboration. Yeah. So smart and, uh, so musical and musical theater is just, uh, pours out of him. So it was a delight. Yeah. Really yeah. Um, Jason, I know that music and jazz in particular, played a formative role in Billy Crystal's life. Uh, as anybody who saw his one-man Broadway show, 700 Sundays knows his father worked with jazz musicians as a label executive, as a promoter and a producer. Did he have any particular ideas about the direction of the music or the arrangements or orchestrations even? Did he give you any feedback on that? I, I always felt like I could use Billy as a sounding board if I had an idea and I wanted to see how it would be received. But I think it was pretty clear to me from the very outset what the musical world of this show was supposed to be. And I think, you know, I wouldn't have ever been asked to do the job if Billy didn't think I was going to do that kind of a show. I mean, I, right. to me, this was meant to be a really traditional musical comedy sound, something that had a real brass to it and, a, you know, a, a, just a, a real swing and a real kick. and. I mean, precisely the sort of work that Amanda's dad and Betty Compton did with Julie Stein. And that was very much my model throughout was what, you know, what was the sound of golden age musicals in the 50s? And then there's some stuff that takes place in the 90s. And so how does that sound sort of get pushed into the 90s and build around so that I did that. And every once in a while, I would say to Billy, you know, <clears throat> what's your what's your favorite singer from, you know, from 1958 or who's your favorite uh, jazz thing? He There's a Cannonball Adderley album of uh, Fiddler on the Roof, which is 
hysterical oh. and really wonderful. And uh, and Billy would always he would send me it all the time. He would send me texts uh, with links to to songs from that album all the time because I think that to him was like that's the confluence of those worlds, the jazz world and the Jewish show business world. And and that was very much what we were tasked to do. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Amanda, as, as Jason just mentioned, um, your parents both worked in show business. Uh, your, your father was the renowned lyricist and libretta Sadoff Green and your mother, the actress and singer Phyllis Newman. The focus in Mr. Saturday Night is not, you know, specifically exactly their world, but did you find it evocative of any of the stories you were told or the people you met while growing up or that sort of mid 20th century golden age of, of entertainment in general? I mean, the first thing I did when, you know, my name was brought up to Billy Crystal was send him a photo of me sitting on Milton Berle's lap when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> so just to let him know that I did know this world. And also the, the very much the family dynamic of, you know, the daughter and the the parents and having, you know, what, what it's like to be a, it doesn't mirror my childhood exactly or my relationship with my parents, but I, I grew up with people who were the kids of, you know, and, and I was the kid of, and, and what that dynamic is like. And, you know, when someone in the house is, uh, takes up a lot of room in the house and is, a, you know, a star or, or a, certainly, a, you know, so that was something that I felt I had a, a beat on and a handle on. Yeah. Did you think about, you know, that's a very interesting point that you made, Jason, about some of this, some of this musical being set in the 90s. And, you know, a lot of it takes place. Uh, well, certainly there are elements of it that take place uh, decades before that. Did you think about the different eras and the different generations, for that matter, represented in writing music and lyrics? Absolutely. I mean, the each, the characters all have a specific way of, of speaking. Uh, they have a shared language of sort of sarcasm and direct language, but, you know, the daughter speaks differently than the mom and, and Billy Crystal. And, you know, so yes, each character has their own way of expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, you know, one of the interesting things to me about writing the show was having to write for septuagenarian actors, uh, <laughs> having to write for people who were in their 70s, as well as people who are in their 20s and people who are in their 40s. And that those are very different assignments. You know, you write for the voice very differently. And, you know, in Billy's case and David Pamer's case, you're looking at two people who aren't trained singers or even experienced singers in any real sense. So what do you do to, to take care of them to, to build their vocabulary into a musical vocabulary versus what I can do with Shoshana Bean, who obviously can sing anything from the minute she wakes up until probably while she's still asleep the next night. Right. Uh, and so the generational element, not just of the characters, but of the actors themselves plays very much into the writing of the score. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, because you are both so multifaceted, did you exchange ideas about music and lyrics? Jason, would you give feedback on lyrics? And I'm, I'm sure to some extent all composers and lyricists do that. But did you feel particularly sort of empowered to do that, given your past experience to really? I, I mean, I, 
I knew from the outset that I didn't have to do it, which was really great. What I knew I had was this unbelievably gifted collaborator who could do everything. It was a hard adjustment for me not to do it because I'm just used to it. And so I think it took us a while to find out what the rhythm was and what's the best way to to move it forward. But I don't think we ever had any trouble being able to say to each other, hey, what about this? Or hey, what about that? Uh, And we also, you know, were immediately uh, prepared the minute we said it for the other person to say, no, go away, shut up, which, you know, was a a perfectly logical response. (laughs) Absolutely. There is, I mean, every collaboration I've been, I mean, that's collaboration. You you absolutely weigh in on, you know, that does that, that lyrics not, you know, feeling right to me, or is that what they'd say? Or is that music going to be hard to, you know, I mean, the back and forth happens all the time and between the book music and the lyrics and the direction and the everything. So yes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Speaking of generational differences, I saw audience members of all ages when I caught a matinee of uh, Mr. Saturday Night. And I'm wondering if you've gotten, I would imagine you have gotten different feedback from people of different ages. I imagine there are people for whom this show stirs a lot of memories, but also people who are just kind of discovering the the culture and the storytelling for the first time. Any reactions that have stood out for you? The best thing I I heard uh, was not so much generational as it was cultural. I mean, I I always say it's sort of Mr. Saturday Night is so Jewish, it makes Fiddler on the Roof look like the sound of music. But I... uh, I think uh, the most exciting thing was that Michael Kilgore, uh, who is a friend of of Shoshana's and mine, uh, who had done Songs for a New World at Encores a couple of years ago, came to an early preview. And Shoshana said, I'm, I'm so I'm so moved that you came to the show. That's so great. And he said, what? You all come to the color purple. And uh, I think that was that was the thing that I really appreciated was this idea that just because it's a show about Jews in show business, that it doesn't have to feel like it's walled off from the rest of the world to come see it. And I think Billy is such a such a warm performer and such a welcoming performer that people over the years have just been drawn into what he does. So it allowed us to both be specific in our writing, but to trust that an audience could take it in with its universality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, funny is funny. Family dynamics, no, no age, no, you know, race or religion, you know, and I think the different ages, there's something to latch onto. Certainly, if you're an older person and you grew up in that time, it's going to hit a lot of your pleasure centers. But even if you aren't, you're you're going to laugh at Billy Crystal. You're going to relate to family dynamics and uh, you know things that everybody faces. You know, in their in the span of a lifetime. Yeah, it seemed like everybody working on it had a blast too. I mean, the actors I interviewed told me they did. Was it a particularly fun show to work on? With Billy and Lowell and Babalu, I was literally working with the three funniest people I've ever been in a room with and <laughs> got to do it over and over again. So even when everyone was sort of a pain in the ass, which happened, I, I was among those people, you know, I, it was still a pain in the ass with really funny people. And that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the cast is fantastic. I mean, they're, uh, they're all top notch, you know, top of their game and uh, generous and funny. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to work with people that talented. Yeah. So uh, listen, I really appreciate your, your joining us. I don't want to 
let you go without giving you a chance to say anything about what you're working on at the moment, because I know you are both, as I mentioned before, big multitaskers. That's a, that's an understatement. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I'm doing, uh, you know, my concerts throughout the year uh, with my band and, and sort of getting back into the hang of performing, which is very exciting and writing new stuff. And I have several new shows that I'm in the middle of. But also, I mean, I've just been really focusing on, uh, on the movie uh, for 13 for Netflix, which I'm thrilled about. And um, it is my hope that next winter, uh, we will be opening a new production of The Connector, which is a show that uh, Daisy Prince and Jonathan Mark Sherman and I have been working on for, for quite a while. Uh, oh. But it looks like we finally have the pieces in place for a production. So I'm thrilled to be able to, to say that. That's great. Uh, Amanda? Uh, I'll be uh, jumping into a workshop of this show I've been working on for a while, an, an original musical comedy called Female Troubles, which is kind of, as we describe it, uh, Jane Austen meets Bridesmaids, but about women's reproductive freedoms. And uh, it's like, <laughs> very timely, always timely. Now it's, you know, five alarm fire, timely. Uh, so I, I'm very excited to jump back into that. And Scott Ellis is directing. I'm working with Curtis Moore, who is uh, Emmy nominated for uh, writing songs for Mrs. Maisel, and this wonderful writing team named Jen Crittenden and Gabby Allen, who've written for Veep and every funny show you've heard on TV and, and uh, have a show now on Fox called Housebroken. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing next. And, and going to see Jason Robert Brown at 54 Below. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. 54 Below, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Is that right? Yeah. Didn't they just get nominated for Tony, a special? No, yeah, not nominated. They got a Tony. Nominated. They won a special Tony award. Yeah, well, that's that's a lot of stuff we can all look forward to. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And um, stay safe and healthy. Uh, you too. I will, I will try and do at least one of those things. Um, <laughs> thanks for having us on. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. For all things Broadway, and to find tickets to your next show, you can visit broadwaydirect.com. And if you liked our show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And don't forget to share and rate Stage Door Sessions so that fellow theater fans can find us too. This podcast is produced by Broadway Direct and the Niederlander Organization with Iris Chan, Erin Kovacnik-Wagner, and Paul Art Smith, and hosted and produced by me, Elisa Gardner. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again on Broadway.